Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We begin this hour with the major breaking news, a day for the history books with President Trump's, quote, misconduct detailed in more than 300 pages by Democrats on the House Intelligence Committee who argue that President Trump personally and with the help of multiple senior administration officials solicited the interference of a foreign government, Ukraine, in the upcoming 2020 election to benefit himself. Democrats are making the case that by doing so, President Trump put his own interests above those of the United States of America, undermined the integrity of the upcoming election, and endangered U.S. national security. The report also underscores what Democrats view as a, quote, unprecedented effort to obstruct an impeachment inquiry. President Trump, of course, refused to comply with the investigation to provide any subpoenaed documents or allow top aides to testify. In the report, Democrats also pointedly accused the president of attacking and intimidating witnesses who did comply with subpoenas, making note that it is a federal crime to do so, carrying a criminal sentence of up to 20 years in prison. For his part today, President Trump referred to the chairman of the committee before this was released as deranged. But as CNN's Alex Marquardt now reports, Democrats argue that the evidence of the president's misconduct and obstruction of of Congress is, quote, overwhelming. Overwhelming is the amount of evidence House Democrats said today of the president's misconduct with Ukraine and his obstruction of Congress. The new report from the Intelligence Committee stating the president placed his own personal and political interests above the national interests of the United States, sought to undermine the integrity of the U.S. presidential election process and endangered U.S. national security. The evidence is overwhelming that he abused his office to leverage your taxpayer dollars to have a foreign government try and cheat an election. The 300-page report details the committee's findings after an eight-week historic investigation. Their blistering conclusion that it would be hard to imagine a stronger or more complete case of obstruction than that demonstrated by the president since the inquiry began. This is the result of a president who believes that he is beyond indictment, beyond impeachment, beyond any form of accountability, and indeed above the law. And that is a very dangerous thing for this country to have an unethical president who believes they are above the law. Chairman Adam Schiff launched the investigation in September, prompted by the whistleblower's complaint. That complaint centered around the July 25th call, in which President Trump asked Ukrainian President Zelensky for a favor and investigations into a 2016 elections conspiracy theory and the Bidens. Our investigation determined that this telephone call was neither the start nor the end of President Trump's efforts to bend U.S. foreign policy for his personal gain, the report reads. Rather, it was a dramatic crescendo. An effort, Democrats argue, that included Vice President Mike Pence, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, Energy Secretary Rick Perry, and Acting Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney, saying they were either knowledgeable of or active participants in an effort to extract from a foreign nation the personal political benefits sought by the president. Pompeo was on that July 25th call, and Mulvaney famously admitted to the quid pro quo 
before walking it back. I have news for everybody. Get over it. There's going to be political influence in foreign policy. The committee report alleges that the president's misconduct in Ukraine was not an isolated occurrence, nor was it the product of a naive president. Trump, according to the committee, benefited from Russian interference in the 2016 election that the then-candidate welcomed. Now, they say, the president is soliciting China and Ukraine to interfere, which presents a clear and present danger that the president will continue to use the power of his office for his personal political gain. The central role of Rudy Giuliani in Ukraine policy runs throughout the entire report. It details his calls with the White House, the Office of Management and Budget, and Intelligence Committee ranking member Devin Nunes. In April, the report says, Mr. Giuliani had three phone calls with a number associated with OMB and eight calls with a White House number. Giuliani had been pushing for the ouster of U.S. Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch. She was recalled in May after what the committee called a baseless smear campaign. The report reads, her ouster set the stage for other U.S. officials appointed by President Trump to work in cooperation with Mr. Giuliani to advance a scheme in support of the president's reelection. The committee also detailed the lengths the administration went to to not cooperate, saying not a single document was produced by the White House. Officials were also blocked from testifying or handing over records. In the end, the committee does not recommend impeachment, saying that will be left up to the full House. Whether the president shall be held to account, they say, and whether we as a nation are committed to the rule of law, or instead, whether a president who uses the power of his office to coerce foreign interference in a U.S. election is something that Americans must simply get over. So this report is now uh, the baton that is being handed off to the Judiciary Committee to serve as the basis for the articles of impeachment that they will draft. Now, the White House issued a quick response to the report, saying in part, this report reflects nothing more than Democrats' frustrations. Chairman Schiff's report reads like the ramblings of a basement blogger straining to prove something when there is evidence of nothing. Jake. All right, Alex Marquardt, thanks so much. Uh, let's uh, talk about all this. Paul Begala, the Democrat, as the Democrat at the table, let me ask you, I know you, you believe the president committed impeachable offenses, but let me ask you, do you th- think the Democrats have done an effective job of making the case to the American people? We see support hovering around 50 percent for impeachment and removal from office. Uh, that's not overwhelming. It's overwhelming compared to what? It's much higher than Nixon, for example, except Nixon's final days. With Clinton, it never got above 30 by the way, 30 wanted Bush and Obama to be impeached, too. There's always 30 percent wants to get rid of a president. <laughs> and it was around 30 percent a few months ago for this president. It's gone from 30 to 50. So I guess a long way of saying yes. Adam Schiff just he gave a long statement. He issued a long report. There's six words that I think Democrats ought to key in on. No one is above the law. That's something everybody can understand. That goes back to 1215 in the Magna Carta, long before even there was in America, the notion that no one's above the law. And when you read this report, you see again and again and again this president putting himself above the law. The laws don't apply to me, whether it's the laws about bribery, whether it's the laws about obstruction of justice. They make a really compelling, overwhelming case on that. Uh, Scott, let me ask you. So Congressman Schiff says this in the summary of the report. This is uh, question three, uh, uh, full screen number two. Um, Is the remedy of impeachment warranted for a president who would use the power of his office to coerce foreign interference in a U.S. election? Or is that now a mere perk of the office that Americans must simply... Uh, get over. I mean, he, he, they're trying to make a Schiff is trying to make it a larger question. Is this going to be what we accept in U.S. presidents? Well, I, I think this is one of the great weaknesses that the Democrats have have run into here, and that's that everything either has to be you fully support this or we have to impeach the president. And when I think a lot of Republicans are going to land on some degree of 
I don't love this. It was bad judgment. I'm not all that worried about it. But largely in the bucket of it's not impeachable, especially when you consider that we're heading for an election. I don't think most Americans want to say that presidential conduct, whether you judge it to be you know, something worse than bad judgment or not, has to go immediately to the level of impeachment. We've never thrown a president out of office, and I don't think people on the cusp of voting for the next president want to throw one out now. I think they want to have a say in the matters. I just I have always thought one of the biggest challenges for the Democrats here was forcing this into a binary choice. You either condone it or you want to impeach, when most people, I think, are somewhere in the middle. Well, um, that may be true, and, I, and points for being in the reality-based universe. But we do, <laughs> we, we do, we do hear, uh, and you do, uh, and, and your beat as well, hear from a lot of Republicans, especially House Republicans, who who also seem to see it as binary, uh, and they support President Trump. The Republicans on the House Intelligence Committee issued a report that said President Trump did nothing wrong, and Schiff addresses this almost uh, directly in his uh, in his preamble, saying perhaps even more corrosive to our democratic system of governance. The presidents and his allies are making a comprehensive attack on the very idea of fact and truth. How can a democracy survive without acceptance of a common set of experiences? There are a lot of Republicans, maybe not in the country, but on Capitol Hill, mm-hmm. uh, that are not even agreeing to the idea that that the president did anything objectionable. Or they're also furthering conspiracy theories uh, that have been debunked. Uh, you're reporting yesterday on the Senate Intel Committee saying that there was no evidence to suggest that Ukraine meddled in the election for Hillary Clinton, and yet Republicans have further pushed that. Um, there's, uh, and yes, you're not seeing many of them have a nuanced debate about this. It's very much tethering themselves to Trump because a lot of them do see their reelection um, futures uh, Uh, tied to Trump and that if they split from him in any way, shape or form, that it could hurt them in in the long run. And I get that. I get that it could hurt them and their own political ambitions and it could even hurt President Trump. But there's a future beyond that that I think the Democrats at least are trying to bring some attention to. Yeah, and you hear Adam Schiff and and Nancy Pelosi and other members talk about that all the time, this idea of them not wanting to set this as a standard for um, American presidents, that they can get away with this uh, going forward, be it a Democratic president or a Republican uh, president. Uh, but you do have, I, I think, you know, there, there are folks who are thinking about their re-elections and then folks like Will Hurt, who doesn't even have a re-election, who's just sort of looking at, I guess, this f- future uh, in the Republican Party. It's also just true that this Republican Party is owned lock, stock and barrel by Donald Trump. I mean, these are Trump's people. I mean, that has been a kind of the remarkable story of these last three years. Uh, a bit surprising if you saw how he ran uh, in 2016, that uh, somebody like Lindsey Graham, for instance, uh, would be his biggest cheerleader. But that has happened uh, on the Senate side uh, as well as on the House side. Now, listen, the House side is probably a little bit more conspiratorial. Some of the folks on on the panel, it probably won't be like that on the Senate side. Uh, But by and large, I mean, the overwhelming leadership of the folks on the Hill, uh, they're with this president. They have been, and that's unlikely to change. And and Laura, a a name in here uh, quite a bit is Devin Nunes, Mm -hmm. the congressman from California who's the ranking Republican on the committee. And he's not in there just because he's the ranking Republican on the committee. He's in there because the committee goes into all sorts of phone records detailing conversations that he had with Rudy Giuliani, with Giuliani's indicted associate, Lev Parnas. Um, A lot of stuff. uh, Schiff wouldn't explain what he thought uh, Devin Nunes had done, but obviously it's in there for a reason. 
Right. What Schiff kind of explains is that these new phone records, which we hadn't seen before, show a coordination of a smear campaign, uh, not only when it came to Ambassador Ivanovich, but also just this larger conspiracy. Uh, and, And yes, Schiff didn't go into potentially what was discussed in those phone calls that appeared very short. But it's surprising and a bit ironic that here we had a few weeks ago Nunes uh, on the committee saying, uh, uh, blowing up this big idea that Schiff knew who the whistleblower was, that Schiff was communicating directly with the whistleblower, and yet Nunes appears to be at the very heart of what this investigation was about. All right, everyone stick around. We've got a lot more to talk about. We're going to have much more in our breaking news. We're going to hear from a member of the House Judiciary Committee that will take over the impeachment inquiry with a public hearing tomorrow. Republican Congressman Jim Sensenbrenner from Wisconsin is live next. And we're back with the breaking news. Democrats on the House Intelligence Committee putting out their impeachment report this afternoon. They accused President Trump of undermining national security in his, quote, Ukraine scheme and engaging in a, quote, unprecedented campaign of obstruction of this impeachment inquiry. Tomorrow, the House Judiciary Committee is anticipated to hold its first public hearing with four legal experts under oath. Joining me now to talk about this is one of the members of the Judiciary Committee who will be in that hearing tomorrow, Republican Congressman Jim Sensenbrenner of Wisconsin, who also helped lead the Clinton impeachment uh, in the House. Congressman Sensenbrenner, thanks so much uh, for joining us. I want to begin with this new report. It says this, quote, the president placed his own personal and political interests above the national interests of the United States, sought to undermine the integrity of the U.S. presidential election process and endangered U.S. national Security, unquote. Now, I know you do not think that President Trump asking President Zelensky to investigate the Bidens was out of bounds. Is there anything in the report uh, change your mind? Well, I got the report an hour ago as over 300 pages long, and I do speed read, but not quite that fast. You know, let me say that uh, uh, I don't think the president has committed an impeachable offense. Uh, no president should be above the law, but they shouldn't be below the law either. And what uh, Trump said to President Zelensky was, can you do me a favor? Now, if that is an impeachable offense, then what about then Vice President Biden uh, saying, I'm holding up a billion dollars of aid unless you fired the prosecutor in six hours and bragging about it? Uh, the problem, I think, you know, is, is that uh, this is a moving target. And there are a lot of people, including a lot of my colleagues, who have hated Trump from the beginning. You do not impeach a president because of policy differences or because you hate him and didn't vote for him and we're sorry that he won. Mm -hmm. There has to be something more serious than that. And telling the president of Ukraine, will you do me a favor, is not the serious thing that the framers thought it should be. The Biden thing, I don't want to get off on a, on a path here, but the Biden thing, it was obviously something that even Republicans, the International Monetary Bank, others were calling for, the International Monetary Fund, others were calling for that prosecutor to be fired. That, that may very well be so, true, Jay. Yeah. But not the way that Biden framed it when he came back here and bragged about it. So now, I, at least we didn't stop the country uh, for a couple of years uh, having an impeachment inquiry on him. The Intelligence Committee is vital to our national security, so, and they spent the last three months not doing the oversight of intelligence that we need, but going on an impeachment witch hunt. So, Congressman, it's as simple as that. So, you talked about how you don't think that that phone call. Uh, demonstrates anything wrong because the president phrased it as do me a favor. Democrats in the report 
argue that the call between Trump and Zelensky was just a, quote, dramatic crescendo within a months-long campaign driven by President Trump, that for months there had been this effort involving President Trump and multiple senior officials, and it involved also President Trump withholding uh, a visit to the Oval Office for President Zelensky and, of course, that $391 million of security aid that was ultimately released after the whistleblower came through. Well, neither Trump nor Zelensky said that there was a quid pro quo involved, number one. Uh, Zelensky wasn't even aware at the time uh, that uh, the aid was being held up. And on September 11th, which was about six weeks after the call, the aid was released and uh, Ukraine got the money. After the whistleblower came forward. Well, it's after the whistleblower came forward, but we also ought to realize that Ukraine is probably the most corrupt country in Europe and one in the world. And I think we all ought to be uh, assured that when we do release foreign aid to any other country, that money is being used for the purpose for which it was sent and not ending up in somebody's pocket or Swiss bank account. So I guess one of the other points that uh, the Democrats are trying to make here uh, is that this is setting a precedent uh, and that if Republicans allow this to be deemed acceptable, then in the future, a president, Elizabeth Warren, could press China to investigate Jared Kushner's family and how they promoted investor visas in that country. Or President Buttigieg could ask Azerbaijan to look into the Trump Tower deal there. There are all sorts of allegations of corruption. That would be okay with you for a Democratic president to ask a foreign country to do them a favor and look into a political rival? Well, we have mutual legal assistance treaties with most countries. So if there was a violation of U.S. law where there's evidence in a foreign country, the MLAT uh, ends up requiring the foreign country to cooperate with us. But this goes much deeper than that. It goes back to the way the framers set up our government. And that was is that the executive should not be dependent upon having a majority in the parliament or in the Congress in our case. Uh, they developed separation of powers, and Adam Schiff and his crowd you know, have completely thrown separation of powers in the wastebasket. So if we ever, in the future, have a president of one party and a majority in the House and another party, uh, the Congress is going to repeat this mistake, not do the people's business, and be involved in a two- or a four-year-long witch hunt to try to boot the president who is newly elected by the American people out of office. So That's what we're seeing here. I want to play for our viewers uh, your opening statement before the House Judiciary Committee in 1998. Here you are talking about President Clinton. He has not owned up to the false testimony, the stonewalling. The obstructing, he has used legal hair-splitting and redefinition of words to perpetuate those lies. The president lied, obstructed, and abused power. I think a lot of people will see that clip and think, yeah, you get offended when Democrats abuse power, but you don't get offended when Republicans abuse power. There, there is a big difference. Kenneth Starr, who is an independent investigator, which Adam Schiff is not, you know, ended up doing a lengthy investigation, sent us 36 boxes worth of evidence, and said that Clinton lied both in a civil deposition and in grand jury testimony under oath. That's the big difference. Whatever Trump did or didn't do on that phone call was not under oath. 
It was not in a judicial proceeding where the courts have to have the truth in order to administer justice. And that's why witnesses in any judicial proceeding are put under oath. Big difference between the two. Uh, Starr found that uh, Clinton lied under oath in both the civil and grand jury proceedings. Uh, nobody has said that Donald Trump has lied under oath. Well, I mean, we don't have time to get into all the differences, but obviously Attorney General Janet Reno had the intellectual integrity to let Ken Starr be an independent counsel and investigate this, whereas yeah. Attorney General Bill Barr uh, decided there was nothing to look at here. Republican Congressman Jim Sensenbrenner of Wisconsin, thank you so much. Good luck to you in, to, in retirement. Oh, well, thank you. I'm not running again, so I'm not worried about anybody saying they're never going to vote for me again. <laughs> thank you, sir. Appreciate your time. Yeah, she was once you. looked at as a Democratic favorite. Now she's on the list of possible running mates, a shocking exit in the 2020 race. Stay with us. Breaking news in our 2020 lead. After a promising start with huge crowds and impressive fundraising numbers, California Democratic Senator Kamala Harris this afternoon announced she is dropping out of the race for president. CNN's Jeff Zeleny joins me now. And uh, Senator Harris blamed her decision squarely on, on money. Jake, that was her official reason, and that is the reason, of course, she was getting out of the race. She simply did not have the money to go forward and pay the staffers. Of course, why wasn't she raising money? That is the central question here. Uh, she really found herself, uh, you know, without a particular home. She wasn't a progressive. She wasn't necessarily a moderate. She had a couple feet in both camps. She started that way back in January when you asked her if she was for Medicare for all. She vacillated a bit, and that was sort of a sign of what was to come for her campaign. But she addressed her supporters this afternoon in a video and this is why she said she couldn't go forward. I've taken stock and I've looked at this from every angle. And over the last few days, I have come to one of the hardest decisions of my life. So here's the deal, guys. Um, my campaign for president simply does not have the financial resources to continue and the financial resources we need to continue. So the reality here there is she saw the writing on the wall. She actually was going to be on the debate stage in two weeks in California. So many of her supporters were hoping that she would stay in until that point to try and make one last chance here. But Jake, I am told she was thinking about her own future. And by dropping out now, she will not be on the California ballot. That means she won't lose miserably there. She, of course, is... Um, you know, almost certainly to run for re-election in 2022 there as a senator. So by dropping out now, that happens. She also preserves her political future here. Long after the primary is settled, she certainly will be in the running to be a running mate. We don't know, you know how this is going to go, but by getting out now, she sort of leaves with her dignity intact. But so many people were surprised by the fact that she was not able to uh, catch on. A lot of reasons for that some of which we've talked about. And uh, the Democratic debate in uh, this month, um, as of right now, the only candidates uh, that have, that have uh, made the stage, now that Harris is out, are, are white, despite this incredibly diverse field of candidates. Let me just ask you, who do you think benefits the most from this, let's say, in Iowa, the first state, the caucus state? Uh, who will benefit from, from her dropping out? I mean, I think at this point, you know, when you look at the people in the race, Amy Klobuchar, I am keeping my eye on there in Iowa. She's coming on much stronger, particularly after the last couple of debates, really raising questions on, you know, the, the reality of some of these plans. So look for her to assume some of uh, Senator Harris's support. Also, Cory Booker, he needs to make his last stand there. He has a a strong organization there. So if he can consolidate any of Harris's support, we'll see. But also uh, someone probably not in the Warren 
uh, Sanders camp more likely in the other camp here. So all of her people are up for grabs. Yeah. And Booker has not made the December debate, at least as of now. Not. Jeff Zellamy, thanks so much for him. Confrontation on the world stage. President Trump clashing with a key ally in front of the cameras. Thank you. What were they talking about? That's next. Here. In our world lead today, a stunning display of animosity. President Trump, already under pressure at home in the U.S., confronted by an ally abroad, French President Emmanuel Macron, in a public meeting defying President Trump and standing by his assessment, Macron's, that NATO is suffering brain death, as CNN's Caitlin Collins now reports. A meeting between two allies turning tense today as President Trump and French President Emmanuel Macron sparred with the cameras rolling. I would say that nobody needs NATO more than France. The stage for the clash was set after Trump slammed Macron for saying the NATO alliance was experiencing brain death. I heard that uh, President Macron said NATO is brain dead. I think that's very insulting to a lot of different forces. Very, very nasty statement. Macron made the comment last month, suggesting the 70-year-old alliance could no longer count on the U.S. But today it turned this frequent NATO critic... NATO is obsolete. ...into its defender. And you just can't go around making statements like that about NATO. It's very disrespectful. When the two leaders came face to face, Macron stood by his comments. I know that my, my statements created some reactions and shake a little bit a lot of people. After Trump touted his cozy relationship with Turkish President much, Erdogan. I, I can't speak for the president of France. I mean, I, we have a very good relationship. Macron fired back, ripping Turkey for defying NATO and purchasing a Russian missile defense system. How is it possible to be a member of the alliance, to work with all of us, to buy our matters, to be integrated, and to buy the S-400 from Russia? Macron then sat stone-faced as Trump made this joke about offering captive ISIS fighters to the French. Would you like some nice ISIS fighters? Yeah, I can give them to you. You can take everyone you want. Let's be serious. But Trump laughed it off. This is why he's a great politician, because that was one of the greatest non-answers I've ever heard. (laughs) And that's okay. The tents sit down a big contrast to a relationship that was once filled with camaraderie, compliments, and dandruff diplomacy. But we do have a very special relationship. In fact, I'll get that little piece of dandruff for a little piece. We have to make him perfect. He is perfect. So it is really... A big change, Jake, from that meeting there to what happened today. But despite today's contentious sit-down, Trump did give the French president a ride in his presidential limo to 10 Downing Street for a reception that Boris Johnson was hosting tonight. All right, Caitlin Collins across the pond for us. Thanks so much. I want to bring in retired NATO Supreme Allied Commander General Wesley Clark. Uh, General Clark, thanks so much uh, for joining us. What did did you make of the meeting between uh, President Trump and Emmanuel Macron? A lot of domestic politics involved uh, on both sides. Uh, It's better to hash out disagreements, real disagreements, in private and show agreement in public. So when they show disagreement in public, you have to think there's some domestic benefits on both sides. The truth, though, is that NATO badly needs American leadership, not at the general level, not at the colonel level, not at the ambassador level. It needs it from the White House. And uh, Europeans uh, have been saying for two and three years that 
President Trump's ambivalence toward NATO, his cozying up to Vladimir Putin, his occasionally suggesting he wasn't going to support if they didn't pay. A lot of these pressures that should have been applied in private when they come out publicly from the president of the United States, they undercut the credibility of NATO. And that's the danger. And, um, and what we saw today adds further uh, to the uncertainty that uh, grips some European capitals. I, I certainly understand uh, why that perception's out there, but let me ask you, there are U.S. troops now uh, in NATO countries and along the Russian border that, that have not been there before. I think they're in one of the Baltic states. I believe they're in Poland uh, conducting military exercises. Uh, when you look uh, away or beyond the rhetoric from President Trump, isn't the U.S. Uh, doing quite a bit to push back on Russia? That's exactly right. And since 2014, really, since Russia invaded uh, and seized Crimea and, and invaded Ukraine, NATO has toughened up considerably. And uh, these actions have taken some months and even years to take place. And President Trump's continued the toughening up process. And we have to recognize the United States in military terms is, is on the ground more than it has been in the past few years. However, NATO is fundamentally not a military alliance. It's really a political alliance at the top. The idea is not to fight a war. The idea is to prevent a war. And today, uh, Russia does present a major challenge to, to NATO countries. Uh, Putin wants his empire back, and he's waging a hybrid warfare in, in Ukraine uh, with some flying bullets and artillery, but also with cyber and with social media that's spilling over into European countries. Our Eastern European friends and allies are very concerned about this. Mm -hmm. They need a strong leadership from the United States and a commitment. So earlier today, President Trump was asked uh, if he would commit to defending a NATO ally, even if that ally is not meeting its financial obligations on defense spending. Uh, take a listen to President Trump's answer. And it's a very interesting question, isn't it? And, you know, it also depends on what your definition of delinquent is. Do they have to pay for the back years? OK, now, so why is it that they owe us for this year? But every time a new year comes out, uh, they don't have to pay. It's wrong. What was your response to that, sir? Well, I think that those are the kind of discussions you need to have in private. I think uh, when you have it uh, in public, it's a, it's a lot like when uh, couples uh, start talking about divorce too often. It, it starts a ball rolling. That's, uh, it's hard to get it stopped. And here, when you're questioning whether or not you're going to come to an ally's uh, aid under Article 5 of NATO's treaty, fundamentally, we are committed. When one is attacked, it's as though all are attacked. So this should, shouldn't be talking in public about things like this. It raises uncertainties and it opens the door for further pressures by, by allies like Turkey, who they want to use uh, their ability in NATO to leverage the United States actions and support of the Kurds. So uh, we don't want that kind of leverage. NATO is, is, um, is a powerful alliance. It's a political alliance. We should be working with our allies to achieve common interests, not leveraging this uh, threat that we may not support them to get some other interest. General Wesley Clark, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you.
A Trump administration official today shooting down a conspiracy theory peddled by President Trump himself. So why are Republicans repeating this conspiracy theory? That's next. On broadcast. Our intelligence community and the representatives today from the uh, Department of State indicate that there was not uh, meddling by Ukraine in our election. Indeed, Senator Mitt Romney of Utah today said the meddling, the interference was done by Russia. Romney demonstrating allegiance to facts and not allegiance to the obfuscating talking points being pushed by Republicans that it was in fact Ukraine that interfered in the 2016 election. That is not true. Ukraine did not interfere. Sources tell me that the Senate Intelligence Committee in 2017 looked into the conspiracy theories about Ukraine, going so far as to interview Sean Henry from the cybersecurity firm CrowdStrike, as well as former DNC operative Alexandra Chalupa. Both of them interviewed in October 2017, the committee finding no evidence to support the notion of any election interference by Ukraine. As Senate Intelligence Committee member Senator Marco Rubio told CNN yesterday, Ukraine did, quote, nothing that compares to the Russian effort. It's not even in the same universe, unquote. But those with more fealty to Trump than to facts on this matter, such as Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana, continue to peddle this falsehood. Here's Kennedy earlier today with CNN's Suzanne Malveaux. I mean, you know that the Senate uh, Intelligence Committee has debunked it, that the 17 intelligence agencies have debunked this, that Fiona Hill, who is the Russian expert, had also debunked it and said that it was simply a Russian talking point. I know that uh, I've read that the Intelligence Committee uh, made some kind of finding. I don't know what it was. Uh, I am aware of Dr. Hill's testimony, and um, she's entitled to her opinion. Joining me now to discuss former CIA chief of Russia and Ukraine operations Steve Hall and former FBI senior intelligence advisor uh, Phil Mudd. Phil, when you see someone like Senator Kennedy coming out and repeating this debunked conspiracy, first he said that it could have been Ukraine that hacked into the DNC computers, then he took it back. Now he's out there with this new talking point that the uh, a few Ukrainians saying negative things about Donald Trump and, and uh, maybe writing an op-ed uh, against him is the same thing as this Russian operation. Uh, what, what comes to your mind? What would you want to say to him? He's relying on the American people not to read. He's relying on us to be ignorant. I would say go back to the original documents. Forget about the politics of the, the, the original documents. For example, the indictments of people uh, affiliated with the Russian military and Russian intelligence. Forget about what somebody said in open media. We're looking at technical access to Twitter and Facebook in efforts by Russian-connected individuals to access state electoral systems. This is not about a fuzzy question of whether it's Ukrainians or Russians. It's about a technical question of whether technical experts saw efforts to access American social media and electoral systems. I don't know why we're debating it, but he's depending on people not to read. Well, we're not debating it. We're, for the, we're trying to set the record straight, considering this is a false talking point that Republicans keep repeating. Not all Republicans, we should point yeah. out. Mitt Romney, you heard there. Marco Rubio standing by the facts. Steve, the Undersecretary of State for Political Affairs, David Hale, testified on Capitol Hill today. He was asked about who interfered in the 2016 election. Take a listen. The intelligence community assessed that Russian President Vladimir Putin ordered an influence campaign in 2016 aimed at our presidential election. Was the Kremlin's interference in our 2016 election a hoax? No. Are you aware of any evidence that Ukraine interfered in the 2016 U.S. election? I am not. Does it undermine U.S. intelligence agencies when people like Senator John Kennedy or President Trump 
come out and publicly contradict all the work by all the intelligence agencies and the State Department and the Senate Intelligence Committee? You know, Jake, I think we're kind of past that. I mean, we're so used to this administration and, uh, you know, members of the Republican Party coming out and denigrating to the president himself, the intelligence uh, services, the professionals, you know, who, who work there. And not to not to mention the stream of professionals that we had, uh, you know, last week testifying people like Dr. Fiona Hill and the rest. Um, so that's kind of become the norm. But there's two real reasons that the counterargument as to why Ukraine might have done this doesn't work. The first is the Ukrainians know that the United States is their largest ally against Russia, who is currently trying to invade them. Regardless of whether or not, you know, a Ukrainian has a has a, a personal opinion or even a public opinion about which president would which which candidate would be better, they would never compromise their long term relationship with the United States is the only thing that keep, that's keeping the Russians at bay. Secondly, from an intelligence perspective, I've met with the intelligence uh, uh, with intelligence leadership in Ukraine, as well as other political leaders. They don't have the capability to do that. They're focused on Russia right now. They're not interested in trying to hack into the United States and mess with our elections. That's what Russia did. And Vladimir Putin is very happy that we're talking about this because it really deflects attention and causes him to be able to deny the fact that Russia did it in 2016. And this was one of the things that President Trump pressured or asked President yeah. Zelensky to look into this, quote unquote, crowd strike thing, this this what his own Homeland Security advisor, Tom Boster, called a debunked conspiracy theory that Ukraine actually hacked into the DNC, not Russia. Yeah, I mean, it's a simple diversion. But but to, to uh, echo Steve's point and to get to something more fundamental, can you explain to me the difference between Russia wanting to say not only we want to intervene in American election, but we want to divert Americans from focusing on things like Crimea and why the heck the Ukrainians would want to say we want to divert people from focusing on Crimea and Ukraine? I think if I were in Western Ukraine, I'd say I'd prefer to have more American attention. The Russians had an interest in saying, I want to divert the Americans. I don't know why the, the Ukrainians would have a, have, an, have a similar interest. Steve Hall, final word. Yeah, they wouldn't. I mean, Phil's absolutely right. They have no interest in, in, in somehow undermining this critical relationship with the United States that they have. All right, Steve Hall, Phil Mudd, thank you so much. We're going to have more on the breaking news and the, why the phone records of the top Republican on the Intelligence Committee could be key. Stay with us. Be sure to tune in Thursday night for a CNN town hall. I'm going to moderate the live event with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi during this major week in the impeachment inquiry. That's at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on Thursday. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Jake Tapper. You can tweet the show at The Lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. I will see you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.